Um, if you grab your Bible and go to uh, Revelation 20, uh, it's the very end of your Bible, should be pretty easy to find. Um, we'll, start in, we'll start in verse 11 in just a second. But uh, before we do, I want to wish you a happy new year, and I want to ask you if it flew by. Did you, uh, like my wife and I did, wake up in mid-December and be like, oh my goodness, it is Christmas again. Like, where did the time go? Now, there were certainly some days that might have drugged by or some season that were, seasons that were hard, but all in all, it was like a vapor. It's just gone. The year has just flown by. And uh, even if it didn't completely fly by for you, did you notice uh, how easy it was to be consumed with the stuff in your life during the year? Now, some of us have done some really big things this year, like maybe have gotten married or married off our adult children or had children or started a new job or started a new school or gotten into college or graduated from college. And have you noticed uh, how all of those things just consumed your attention? Some of us have really suffered in the last year, had some disappointments or a breakup or the loss of a loved one or some health issues. Have you noticed just how much it's consumed your thoughts? And I think... uh, I think what happens each year is we just kind of plod through life and we keep our heads down and we try to get to the end of the day each day and a year passes and we haven't taken much time to consider the big stuff, who we are, where we're going, why it matters, and if we're ready. And so this morning, just for a few minutes, I want to reflect with you on where we are all going, on what 2017, where 2017 is heading, on, on where every person in this room is heading and why it matters. And Revelation 20 is uh, one of the clearest pictures in the whole Bible of where every human being who ever lived is going. And before we jump in really quick, I just want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It is uh, a very difficult book, but there are two big things. Uh, the Apostle John is seeing visions, and he's seeing visions of this great cosmic battle that all history is between God and the forces of evil, And John sees the end of time, what's going to happen at the end. And at this point in the book, uh, the battle is over. God has won, evil's defeated, and now God is a victorious king on his throne, doing what victorious kings do. So let's see, we'll start in Revelation 20, verse 11, and see where we're headed. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we gather and um, just hear the word, we, we just plead with you that you would fix our eyes on eternity. We just confess that we are, we are so quickly consumed with the cares of this life and the burdens of this life. And, and Lord, please just for, even for a moment, help us to see the weight of eternity and to fix our eyes and our hope there. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So an almost uh, universal human tendency is to prepare ourselves for things that are coming, to get ready, to make sure we're not caught unprepared. Uh, if you remember back a couple months ago, Hurricane Matthew was headed to Charleston, and uh, Charlestonians were prepared, right? Um, Nikki Haley uh, announced the evacuation of the entire state three days before the hurricane was even going to be on the, on the uh, coast. Uh, anyways, that was a Tuesday, and I was at the office, and I decided to go uh, pick up my daughter from the nanny, and I decided... Um, while we were there to maybe pick up some water just in case my wife, who's much more hardcore about hurricanes than me, wanted to stay. I didn't want to stay, but she might. She might so I was like, let's get some water just in case. And so I figured the best place to go would be the Daniel Island uh, Publix because people in Daniel Island are chill, right? Like they're not going to be crazy like all the people elsewhere in Charleston. I was wrong. <laughs> Uh, I went there, and it, it was a war zone. I mean, there were people, like, cutting me off with their grocery carts to get to the good stuff. Um, the lady, a lady, just a random stranger, was like, sir, what's going to happen to my frozen goods? I was like, I was like ma'am, they're going to thaw, you know? Like, I'm sorry, but uh, I, get, I get to the water section, okay? And it is completely empty, and all they have are six packs of Propel Fitness water. So that's what I got. It was, it was bad. Uh, I'm still drinking them, like, one a week. I can't do any more than that. It's awful. Uh, anyways, uh, this tendency to prepare ourselves uh, doesn't just come with, with big, scary things, but anytime we're going to be evaluated or anytime um, there's something big in the future, we have to perform, we get ready. You know, I, I do a lot of student ministry, and so I see students all the time before game day. You know, they got their, their beats on, right, they got for Christmas, and they're getting in the zone, you know. Um, even the worst students study on finals week, right? Um, everybody gets prepared, and what we've just read in Revelation 20 tells us that the most significant event in human history is coming. Every person in this room and every person who has ever lived will stand before God, will meet him, and from his hand, based on what they've done, specifically based on their response to his son Jesus, will receive from him eternal bliss and life and reward or eternal sorrow and death. And there, guys, I'm very aware this morning, there is no story or illustration that can, that can communicate the weight of that. Um, we are all going to stand before God. But we can prepare. We can be ready. And so let's see what happens and see if we can prepare. So first thing we see in Revelation uh, 20, 11 to 15 is that realities we know it flees, all the dead are raised to appear before God, and they are judged. So if you look at verse 11, John sees a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. So uh, John sees 
uh, God's second appearing in human history. The first was what we just celebrated at Christmas, right? Jesus came as a God in the flesh, as a little baby. He lived as a man. His glory was veiled. But the second time he comes, his glory will be fully revealed, and his glory will be so overwhelming that physical reality as we know it will flee from his presence. It would be kind of like uh, waking up from a dream. You know, uh, we all have dreams, and my dreams personally are kind of crazy, but there's always something. I'm always kind of aware that this isn't quite right. Like, there's, things are fuzzy. You can't really hear well. Like, dreams are always just kind of fuzzy. And one day, um, when God appears, we're going to see that all of our lives, that reality as we knew it, was just a dream. Reality himself. We'll see him. And when God appears, um, the dead will be raised. Everyone who ever lived will be raised. If you look in a verse, beginning of verse 12, it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. doesn't matter how famous they were, how powerful, or how low, or how pitiable. Everybody comes. If you look in verse uh, 13, it says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. The sea and death and Hades were the, the furthest places away from reality in the ancient mind. You know, if, you, if, you're, if your body gets lost in the sea, I mean, they don't have submarines in John's day, right? No one's going to find it. So when John says this, all these places give up their dead, that means everybody, without exception. All people from all time are before God. And they appear for judgment. In verse 12 says that the dead were judged by what was written in the books. There are going to be books there. And the books are going to be a record of every human life seen from God's perspective. You're like a 24-7 camera on your life with like a written transcript of all your words and thoughts. Just imagine that for a second. Um, before God's throne. We're all going to be there. And God will judge humanity based on what those books say. Uh, the judge is just to, uh, is to give an evaluation. It's to see evidence and give an evaluation and then reward based on that evidence. So God is going to evaluate and reward every human life before his great throne at the end of time. And so this New Year's Day, as we've just experienced a year fly by, and we've experienced being consumed with life, I want you to stop and reflect that you are going to stand before God. In fact, I want you to imagine yourself there. I want you to just imagine earth and sky fleeting from its presence and you seeing him on his great white judgment throne and a book being there with your whole life laid bare. And as you imagine, I want to ask you this most important question. How do you come to that day? What's your confidence for that day? Are you like so many people just trusting underneath all the, all the show? You're trusting that you're basically okay and ready? Are you, are you trusting that you're righteous? You know, like so many people, do you think that your, your good outweighs your bad? That you're, you're basically fine? Well, on that day, that might sound okay today, but on that day, when you see God in light of his glory and his purity and his holiness, and you see your life for what it really was, that's going to sound like the craziest idea ever. And as this passage says, everyone who goes to this day in their own morality, in their own righteousness, trusting themselves, not receiving the gift of life in Jesus, they will be judged according to what they've done. And what, they do, what they've done has earned them what we see at the end of this passage, this very sober, the second death in the lake of fire. If you come to this day unprepared, if you come to this day deceived, you get suffering forever. But um, who is on the throne exactly? As we read from other places in the New Testament, Jesus is the one on the throne. 
you know, the one whose birth we just celebrated, who, who lived perfectly and died bearing God's wrath and sin for humanity, for his people. The one, the one who has been merciful to his people and guiding them all their lives. The one who, like we just celebrated this morning, right, in the Lord's Supper, you know, the, 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 you know what symbols mean? The, the bread and the wine, right? Jesus' body and blood welcoming you into God's presence if you receive them by faith. He's the one on the throne. He's going to have his own book, right? Look at verse 13. It says, there's another book written there, uh, the book of life. And this book is going to be every name of Jesus' people. He's going to see that they are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture, whom he laid his life down for. And and Jesus, before all of the universe, before the watching universe, all humanity is going to say, these are my people. I laid my life down for them. They are righteous in me. Believers go to see a friend on the throne. They go to see someone who loves them, who cares for them on the throne. They live their whole lives expecting to hear from their Lord, whom they've known and loved, well done, good and faithful servant. So my, my plea um, for you this morning, again, as another year's flown by and this day just comes towards us so quickly, is that you prepare yourself to meet your God. And if you're not a Christian, there's a, there's a great way to prepare. And it's, look at verse 6, 21 verse 6. It says, um, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. You know, if you're kind of anxious about your soul this morning, if you're, if you're wondering if you can be right with God on that day, the requirement to come and have life from Jesus is just to thirst. It's to spiritually be like a guy who hasn't drinking in four days. It's to say, my life is empty. I have nothing to bring before God. I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. And, and, and then you take that thirst, you take that realization, that understanding of your need, and you, you trust Christ with your life. You embrace what he did, his perfect life. And he, he says he'll give it without payment. It's a free gift. Think about that. The judge, the one who's going to judge the living and the dead, whose glory is going to make reality flee, offers you life today. If you're a believer, and, you, and I, even as I, was, as I was asking the question, how do you come? You're like, I come through Jesus, man. Amen. But if you're a believer, I just want to encourage you to let 2017 begin with a renewed thankfulness and passion for Jesus. I've been walking with the Lord for about 10 years, and uh, what I've learned as I've continued to walk with the Lord is that it just gets normal. Unless, unless, unless we're, I'm really striving after to know the Lord, it just gets normal. Forgiveness of sins becomes like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, no big deal. And, and that's a, we're all going to struggle with that unless we see ourselves before God, right? There, this is like a moment of clarity. It's kind of like, um, you know, family life gets normal and your friends are normal. And then you have a moment where you see brokenness in other people's lives and you just say, thank you, spouse, you know, or like, thank, thank you, family. Um, this is a, seeing yourself before God's throne is a moment of clarity on what you really need. Be thankful, man. Worship and thankfulness and joy will flow from this. That God welcomes sinners and he gives them life as a free gift through Jesus. And then if you're a believer, I would take this message, this truth, and tell it to other people. You know, um, I was a, my wife and I traveled uh, to Atlanta to see her family for Christmas, and we're on the road, and uh, we're stopping for food, and turns out my uh, year and a half old had a blowout, which if you don't know what that is, I won't tell you, but it's bad, okay, not a good thing, and uh, 
many husbands have been thankful that most public restrooms only have changing tables in the women's room. I don't know why that is. It seems sexist to me. But anyways, so we're in the Zaxby's. It's my job to order the food. And we're there. And I order the food. And my cashier's name was Angel. And we start talking about Christmas plans. And um, the Lord just starts to, to lay this girl on my heart like, like we're talking about Christmas, like I should share about Christ with her. And I just find myself really resisting that. And I find myself being like, oh my gosh, I've got five minutes. Come on, we're, we're in a rush. Like we're traveling. This is stressful. But the funny thing was on the way up, on the trip up, before we got to Saxby's, uh, Buster had just told me I was preaching today. And so we were, uh, we were talking about this passage. And we were, we were, I was kind of like talking with Sarah, like, you think this would be good to talk about on New Year's Day? And anyways, and it just hit me. This girl, angel, she's going to stand before God, right? I have the gospel and this poor girl, by all accounts, is coming to this day without knowing Jesus. And I'll, I'll just say, I know evangelism is difficult. I, I, the reason I know is because I've started trying really hard. And it is just hard, and it's awkward, and you constantly find yourself being stretched. And almost every situation in your life is no longer off limits for the Lord, right? Um, but when you see that the people around you, you know, your children, your parents, your relatives, your neighbors, your coworkers, the guy who cuts you off on 526, right? All of them, they're going to stand before God. Just think about that. When you see somebody, see them as an eternal person whose fate will be based on their response to Jesus. So prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for this day and prepare others around you for this day. Um, but we don't just prepare for intense stuff coming. We also prepare in our hearts for good stuff, right? And I would say we're even, we probably prepare even more for stuff that's really great that we're excited about. Uh, like, think about it. How many of y'all woke up yesterday, or at least you football fans, woke up excited about the game, right? You know, all day you're kind of like, I cannot wait to see Clemson win. Yes, you know? Um, we, we're like that. Things in the future that we're really excited about uh, invade our present lives, you know? And, and when we give time to think about them and prepare for them, you know, if, if you get married, you have the joy of having someone say, I will be with you for the rest of my life. You know, that's amazing. You spend a whole season of your life just getting ready for that, right? Uh, we, we prepare for good stuff. Um, and after the great day of judgment comes glory for God's people. And everybody here who knows Jesus is gonna be happiest now and happiest forever if we prepare ourselves to be with God in glory, if we, if we, if we consider heaven and think about it. So let's, let's, let's see. Next thing John sees is Revelation 21, verse 1. John sees a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. After, after reality flees from God's glory, God remakes the heavens and the earth. He, like Jesus says in John 17, he prepares a place for his people. And this place, we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but this place is going to be a place of glory. Everything's going to be new. You know that feeling you get when you have a Christmas present, right? And of course the newness wears off, but like at first you're like, oh, this is awesome. It's shiny, the new car smell, right? Um, the whole universe is going to have that. My wife likes to make fun of me because there was this one time when I was looking at a leaf and I was kind of like excited about how cool it was. And she's like, that is so stupid. Like, what are you doing? I really think in heaven, I think that the tiniest things we just take for granted in our present world are going to sing with glory. We're going to have a new, a new, exciting, beautiful universe to have. And not only will the things around us be new, will be new, 
God, God is going to raise his people from the dead and give them new, glorious resurrection bodies with the same indestructible life that Jesus had. There's no mental or physical disability in heaven. There's, there's no emotional hurt in heaven. You, you will not have the capability to be sick or anxious or struggle again. It's going to be made new. Um, and not only will God's people have a new world and new bodies, they will belong there and be worthy of this place. Look at uh, verse two. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, this holy city is, is a picture of God's people. This is the church, the capital C church, all of God's people from all time and all places. Um, and they, it comes down out of God as the new Jerusalem. And this is interesting because Jerusalem, for most of the Old Testament, and a, a large part of the New Testament, is an entirely negative place. What city killed Jesus? Jerusalem killed. This is the city that rejects the prophets. God had set his people in this city, and they had rejected him. But now they're made new. They're sinless. There is finally a day coming when you will not struggle with sin. If you're a believer, you will be glorified. There will be no more temptation. There'll be no more guilt in dealing with past sins. There'll be no more uh, ability to sin. You will be free from it, finally. If you want to be free, uh, you will have the beauty of perfect righteousness. Uh, God's people are also described as a bride adorned for her husband, and apparently uh, some things uh, never change. Uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, brides got ready for their wedding day, and in our culture, brides definitely get ready for their wedding day. The dress is bought three months in advance, right? At least three months in advance, depending on who you are. But uh, the hair and makeup, they start like way early in the day. Everything is geared towards being beautiful when those doors open, right? Brides look good on their wedding day. And, and this passage says that God's people are going to have the beauty of perfect righteousness, there is a day coming, if you're a believer, when you will finally be right, when you'll finally be worthy. You won't constantly be struggling to believe that Jesus really loves you because you will, you will have glory. You'll possess it. You'll have worthiness. You will belong. Finally, there's no more question, right, when you walk into a room if, you're, if you belong. There's no more insecurity there. You will have glory. And there's a purpose for the place God has made and the glory he's given us, and that is in verse 3, John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You've been given this place and you've been given this perfection for a purpose. And that is the desire under every one of your desires, the glory that awaits the future of all believers, the presence of God himself. You know, what, 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 is, what is blazing fire on judgment day will become cool, warm light for eternity for God's people. They will forever dwell with him and see the love in his eyes. You guys, I, I, know, I know that uh, right now, presently, it is difficult to imagine doing anything forever and enjoying it. But guys, in heaven, you will finally see God in his infinite beauty. That desire that all human beings have to be, to be raptured in beauty, to, to, to have something that never gets old or fade, you will finally have that in the presence of God. And if you, if you see, this is the whole point of heaven. This is the purpose of heaven. This is why it exists. Uh, notice in verse 3 that three different times John says the dwelling place of God is with men. This is what heaven's all about. 
There will be many other things there, but this is the main thing. You enjoying God forever. You will be given new abilities to enjoy him. You will have pleasures forevermore, as the Psalms say. What will God be doing besides giving us pleasures forevermore? He will be healing us. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And there are some words in the Bible that are just beautiful. And this word, every, every tear, every sorrow. Believer, your sorrows are just temporary. That, that pain from, from losing a loved one this holiday season, that continual loneliness, that physical health issue, the emotional baggage that seems to just plague all your relationships, there is a day when you are going to be healed. There's a day when you're going to see that a part of the reason that you had tears was so that God could wipe them from your eyes. You know, uh, again, illustrations just fail on realities this big, but you've all had that feeling the first day after you get over the flu or the first night you get some good rest after being, being really messed up for a few nights. And, and it is just glorious, right? You wake up feeling like a new person. I think in heaven there will be healing. A part of the joy of heaven will be God himself healing us from our sorrows. And they will never come again. So what are we to do um, to prepare for a place like this? How do, we, how do we aim our lives at being happiest here? Sarah and I have just recently gotten involved in an organization called Lifeline Children's Services. It's a, it's a Christian organization that licenses and equips and helps foster families. And as we've gotten involved, um, we've gotten all these babysitting opportunities. Oftentimes, foster parents will need help caring for their children. So anyways, uh, one came up on a Wednesday about six months ago, and it was an opportunity to watch an eight-month-old and an 18-month-old. And uh, just a little context, uh, Wednesdays are big work days for me, so I was gone out of the house the whole day. Sarah was home by herself after working two giant shifts at the hospital. Um, And so we get this email, and we're talking about it, and Sarah's like, do you think we should do this? And I kind of looked at her like the great husband that I am, and was kind of like, if you want to die on your own sword, I mean, go ahead. Like, it's three kids under 18 months, you're by yourself, I'm at the office, like, you know, whatever. And it's, wow, good. You don't say that, okay? It's not a good idea. Um, Not very supportive. Uh, But she looked at me, and her reply is something I don't think I will ever forget. And she said, I think I'm going to do it because I can do anything for nine hours. You know, there's an end in sight. It's going to be exhausting. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be stressed out. These kids are going to be crazy. But there's an end in sight. You know, at 6 p.m., Dad's coming to get them, and we're going to hang out, and things are going to be okay. And believe her, Don't you know that this life is the nine-hour day? This whole earthly life, your entire, whatever, 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it is, this is the time of labor and struggle and sorrow and hardship. Your rest is coming, right? You know, your, your, your joy and peace ultimately is in the future. Yes, is there blessing now? Absolutely. Is there joy here? Yes, we should pursue it here. But does God intend for us to spend our whole earthly lives um, on making things as comfortable and secure as, po- as possible here? No. He intends for us to spend our lives being happy for eternity, to give ourselves to others. 
So I want you to look at your life um, with whatever difficulty or struggle is particularly consuming right now, whatever sorrow or loss there might be, and won't you just speak peace to your soul and say, I can do anything with the end in sight. You know, I'm going to pray for God to deliver me from this. I'm going to plead for change. But if it doesn't come, I will be delivered eventually. You know, I, uh, I constantly, I, I, I keep thinking that one day I'm going to get over anxiety and sleeplessness, that one day it's just going to be, I'm going to be done with it. I was born that way. I've been this way my whole life. I, struggle, I pray about it. I mean, so many nights of just misery laying in my bed when my wife just snoozes, you know. Um, and it can be, and it, for those of you who don't struggle with this, I know uh, some, most of the population doesn't struggle with this, but not being able to sleep is like being this close to a mental breakdown at all times. Um, so anyways, it's very stressful. But the healthiest I am ever when I'm dealing with that, or really any sorrow, is when I just say to myself, there's a day when your rest is coming. There's a day when you will finally not need sleep. You know, there's, there's a, your, your peace of heart is coming. You don't have to have it all now. And God, God would have us look at our lives and say, I do not have to have it all now. My healing, my joy, my peace, my comfort, it's coming. It's ahead. And believer, won't you look at your life this year and ask yourself, not, not what other Americans are asking. They're asking, you know, how can I be most happy here on earth this year? How can I be most comfortable here? No, no, no. Ask yourself, how can I stretch myself and spend my life to be most happy forever? What can I do here and now that lays up treasure for myself in heaven? Indy Wilson's a Christian author, and he uh, wrote a book uh, called Death by Living. And uh, I haven't read it, so I can't recommend it. Uh, but I've, I've read the subtitle, and the subtitle is a phrase that has changed my life. And it says this, life is meant to be spent. It's meant to be spent. The reason you've been given life and breath and health and possessions is to spend it, to give it away, to, to use it for the good of others, to pour it out at, God, at God's feet like an offering to him. That's the whole point of life. Do not buy that Mount Pleasant lie that you've got to try to have it all now. You know, people who have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven are in danger of losing both. You know, it is those people who take up their crosses and follow Jesus who have assurance of eternal life. So I would just plead with you, today, get alone with God or get alone with your spouse or get alone with a friend you really trust and ask each other, what can I do in my life now to be happiest forever? In light of eternity, what things in my life are valuable that I need to, to guard and to be precious? What things, in light of eternity, what things are worthless? You know, what's going to be burned up and not be any help to me or anyone else forever? Maybe I should get rid of those things. But, get, but you have to do this, right? You, you need a moment of clarity. Life is consuming. So get alone with somebody. Get alone just with the Lord. Journal or whatever you want to do. And ask yourself, man, what? How should I change this year in light of the glory that awaits? There's an end in sight. Stretch yourself to get there. I'll close up by telling you a story of one of my heroes named Richard Baxter. He was a pastor who lived in the 1600s, and he had the combination of immense difficulty and suffering with immense productivity for the Lord. Um, 
he had terrible health. Uh, biographers say that Baxter was a museum of diseases. Like he was like a display case where all these nasty diseases could be shown. He had just a couple examples. Uh, he had nosebleeds. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but he could bleed a quart a day out of his nose. Right? That's, oh, man, that's awful. Uh, he had migraines, gallstones, kidney stones, debilitating sicknesses, no modern medicine. Um, he said in his autobiography that after the age of 18, I seldom lived an hour without pain. And he lived until 76. And not only that, uh, he also willingly chose for Jesus a life of poverty and persecution. He had a tiny little pastor's, pastor's salary. It, he gave away a large portion of the poor. Um, he, uh, he was a Puritan. He had some convictions, and they basically meant he was out of a paying job for, the, for half of his life, and he was in jail several times. But in light of all that junk, Baxter had one of the most productive lives for the Lord in history. He wrote 140 books, many of which are still read today, which are great reads. Um, he oversaw the conversion of 2,000 people in his church. He, he came to a church in Kidderminster, which is basically full of drunkards and revelers, and over 13 years basically converted all of them. And he would do so by uh, laboriously visiting families and asking them about their spiritual state, like 15, 16, 17 pastoral visits a week, no cars, no anything. He stretched himself. His whole life was spent. And uh, when he approached death uh, in the 70s, um, the last few weeks of his life, people would ask him, how you doing, Richard? And he would say, almost well. Man, what is the secret to a life like that? Don't you want that? I just want to say, don't you want, don't you want the ability to, to stretch yourself with joy and to have God's glory so much before you that on the day of your death, you can say, I am almost well, and I am confident in that. Well, the secret of Baxter's life, in his own words, was that he meditated on heaven. He spent a few minutes every day with a passage like this before him, and he would imagine himself. You know, he'd get up and he'd feel lazy and he'd not want to just walk with the Lord that day. He would see himself before God's throne answering for his, his life. And when he'd wake up with one of those nosebleeds or migraines and he's like, I just can't, I don't know if I, can, if I can do this today. He would wake up and he'd see himself in the presence of his healer. He would see God wiping the tears from his eyes and giving him a new body that he'd have forever. And as he thought about it, as he, as he kept it in front of him, the power of God flowed into his life. And he was given the ability to be fruitful and productive for the Lord for years through suffering, through trial. So, again, as we, as we look forward to this new year, my plea with you would be to set your eyes on the glory that's ahead. Set your eyes on the future. Live for the future that's coming. Be, be like Paul, who said that I forget what lies behind me, and I strain forward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Press on this year. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, um, we just ask you and plead with you that you would fix our eyes on the glory that awaits, that you would set our hearts in heaven, you'd help us to lay up treasure there. Please, Lord, just give us the wisdom to be alone with you at some point in the next few days and just reflect and Please work. Please help us, we pray. Give us hope to those who are suffering, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.